It was about two weeks ago that our latest mission trip from Russia came back home. They had a great time being in Ulyanovsk. It's where we first went in June of 1992. Ulyanovsk is the birthplace of Vladimir Lenin. When we traveled 25 plus years ago now, we stayed in people's homes. It's what we still do to this day. We stay in homes. You get to share with the family. And truly, they become your family, and you were theirs. There's a, a closeness, a bond that develops. We made the journey, and I told you last week how we tried hard to be able to share our faith through being friends and loving, but also having a worship service. We invited the families we were staying with to the worship service. They did not have to come. Most did. And we invited their friends and then put up signs around the town inviting people to come. And that night when we had this worship service, it was amazing to have hundreds of people there who had not been going to church in 70 years. You remember the wall came down in 91. We were the first Americans they would see in their lifetime, most of them. We came, we offered this worship service and now we were going to be sharing a word, a gospel, that they had not been hearing. And I really struggled a whole lot. I, I told you last week, I struggled with what do you say to a group of people who have not been going to worship in 70 years, they don't know the stories, they've lived under this communist regime, and now you get one opportunity to talk to them. What do you say? I finally decided that I would tell them two of the, what I believed the most significant stories that Jesus told. One, the prodigal son, a story that would tell us that we in our freedom go away and mess up, but you can always come back home, and that when we come back, the Father is already looking for us to welcome us, to forgive us, to bring us back into the family. It's a story that changes everything. I wanted to tell him the prodigal son. But the other story I decided was so significant to tell was the story of the Good Samaritan. A story about, about a Jew who was moving from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And it is down. When the Bible says you go down, it, it actually meant down to Jer Jericho. And there was so many rocks and winding roads and twisting. It's out in a wilderness desert, a perfect place for bandits to be hiding out to try to get you. Everyone knew what a dangerous road it was. And so it was for this man as he had come along the road, bandits came out, they beat him, they left him on the side of the road for dead. And then along came a priest, a great religious man, and he saw him on the side of the road and he passed by. And then came a Levite, a Levite was someone who was a direct descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Can't get much better than that. And he walked by on the other side. And then came along a Samaritan. And it says, when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and put him on a donkey, and took him to an inn to take care of him. Now understand... When those who were originally hearing this story for the first time heard it, they had to be just about in shock. A Samaritan reaching out to take care of a Jew? That's unheard of. 
you and I don't fully appreciate the impact of the story. Because the prejudice, the hatred, was deeper than anything you and I can imagine. You and I have prejudice in our world and the world in which we live. Prejudice based on religion, race, sexual orientation. There's lots of prejudice around us. But the prejudice and the hatred between Samaritans and Jews was something more than you and I can understand. It had been going on for a thousand years. It really went all the way back to when King David ruled and then his son Solomon ruled over all of Israel. But after Solomon, you remember the kingdom split. The northern kingdom and now the southern kingdom. Judah, where Jerusalem was. Starting then, these two groups did not like each other, even though they were all Jewish. The people to the north, they formed a new capital instead of Jerusalem, Samaria. And the area became Samaria. Well, in 722, the Assyrians came and they conquered the northern kingdom. They took away their leaders, their artisans, their brightest people... And then they brought in their own people to try to to create a, a mixed culture. And the Jews who were left behind did begin to intermarry and they became known as the Samaritans. They continued to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. They continued to follow the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. The people in the south, well, they got conquered about 600 B.C., And they were carried off by the Babylonians. And then they came back under Nehemiah. And when they came back, the Samaritans were willing to help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah would have none of it. He said, you have married foreigners. You are no longer pure. We want no part of you. Nehemiah was so radical about that idea there was a priest serving there in the temple in Jerusalem who was married to the daughter of the governor of Samaria. And he said, if you stay married to that foreigner, then you cannot serve in God's temple. So it was the governor of Samaria who went to Mount Gerizim, which was a holy place in Israel, there in Samaria, and said, I'll build us a temple here where we can come worship and you can serve as the high priest. So now you had the people worshiping on Mount Gerizim at their own temple in Samaria, and you had people worshiping in Jerusalem. They despised each other theologically, politically. A couple hundred years later, an army would come to fight against the Maccabees there in the south, and the Samaritans sided with the army, not the fellow Jews. And then the fellow Jews would come to the north and and, um, desecrate the temple there on Mount Gerizim. No, this, this went on for a thousand years. They despised each other. And so to say, a Samaritan saw a Jew lying on the side of the road and he had compassion on him and he went to him and bound up his wounds. Boy, that story would catch their attention. I wanted to tell that story the first time we were in Russia because I knew all the prejudice that existed between Americans and Russians. 
What had we been told all of our lives, my life, about Russians? What had they been told about Americans? I knew the, pre the prejudice they had inside the Soviet Union, Russians, Georgians, Armenians, those of Ukraine, they all despised each other. And I thought, what they need to hear is this message that Christ would bring saying, you and I are called to love our neighbor, even if it's the person that is different from you, a person you despise, you are called to have compassion. So I stood up, I told them the story of the Good Samaritan first. And then I moved into the story, I mean, of the prodigal son. And then I moved into the story of the Good Samaritan. Now I got to tell you, preaching with an interpreter is tough. When I get up here and I'm preaching, I get into a roll. I find my rhythm. You know, I get excited about a story I'm telling you and I get into the story. Well, if you're doing that with an interpreter, you can start saying, then they got to say it. And then you can say, and they got to say it. Just, it messes up your timing and your thinking. And so I'm standing up and I want to tell this story of the Good Samaritan. I said, there was a Samaritan going down the road. And as he went down the road, he got jumped by some bandits and they beat him and they left him for dead on the side of the road. And a priest passed by and then a Levite passed by and then a... It suddenly hit me. I had the wrong guy down on the side of the road. I had said the Samaritan was going down the road and got jumped by robbers and was beaten and left half dead on the road. I needed him to be coming along to save the Jew. And so I'm standing there trying to think this out in my mind. What do I need to do? Because I'm thinking, if I suddenly back up and say, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got that turned around. And I'm trying to explain it to an interpreter, to a group of people who've never heard this story before. This is going to be a hopeless mess. So on the spur of the moment, I just made the decision. And so along came this good Jew. <laughs> and when the Jew saw the Samaritan lying there on the side of the road, he went to him and he bound up his wounds and he put him on his donkey and he took him to the inn and paid the innkeeper. Now all the people who were from St. Luke's who were sitting out there in the uh, congregation were going, Huh? <laughs> The people of Ulyanos, they learned the story of the good Jew. I, I thought, you know, theologically, it's all the same point. It doesn't matter whether it's the Jews helping the Samaritans, the Samaritans helping the Jews. I think Jesus would have been okay with the slight modification. It's about helping those that you despise and who are different from you. That's the story. It's a story that came about because a lawyer had come to Jesus and said, What's the, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. You've got to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And any good lawyer, and I know we have many here, would never be satisfied with that. They had to push for clarification. So who is a neighbor? And so Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And he came to the inn and said, So, who do you believe proved to be neighbor? And the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy. Ah, you're right. Go and do likewise. Knowing the story, it's so important 
This morning, I want to continue on with the sermon series, Telling the Story. Jesus was such an amazing storyteller. And it's the stories of Jesus that we tell over and over for 2,000 years that help us to remember our values, that teach us how to live. We have to know the stories. We need to know our story of how God has moved in our lives. For when you know how God has worked in your life and you know the stories of faith, then it gives you a grounding in a crazy changing world. We've been talking about how Thomas Friedman in his book, Thank You for Being Late, chronicles and documents so well that you and I are living in a time where the world is changing at a faster and faster rate than ever before. When you think about it, he, he, he chronicles 2007. Eleven years ago, Facebook came into being. Twelve years ago, you weren't ever on Facebook. Today, two billion people around the world every week are communicating on Facebook. Twitter went big on its own. And now we have international policy being set on Twitter. YouTube, it came into being. You have all these things, social media beginning to be created, Instagram and all this kind of stuff didn't exist 12 years ago. And the microprocessor began picking up more and more speed. It had been doubling for 50 years. And now we have things like driverless cars, robotic surgery. We're going to have all these things, 3D printers, things that sound like they're science fiction are real. Used to, it would take an invention 50 years to change the way people lived. Now they say every five to seven years, the way you tend to be living, your house, to drive, your communication, it's all going to be changing. So how do we stay grounded? Human beings, our, our wants, our needs, our fears, our insecurities, they haven't changed for 2,000 years, 3,000 years. But the world you and I live in, it's a very different world in the last 10 years, 20 years. My goodness. And it's changing faster than ever before. How do we stay grounded? Do you know the stories? And just be honest with yourself. If I'd been standing at the back this morning and you came in the back door and I had said, what did Jesus say is the greatest commandment? What would you have said? Do you know the greatest commandment? It's Jesus saying, you shall love the Lord your God and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said there's over 600 laws and commandments. All those laws and commandments really build to these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what all the laws and commandments are trying to get us to do. Do you know the great commandment? Do you teach it to your children, to your grandchildren? Do you ever think about how it affects the decisions you make and the way you live? Are you trying to live so that everything you say and do helps you to love God and shows love to your neighbor? 
Do you know the story of the Good Samaritan? What does it mean to love those who are different from you? To show compassion? Do you teach that to your children? To your grandchildren? Does it affect the way that you're now going to treat each other? To know the stories. That's what I want us to be thinking about today and through this year. And as we think about the Good Samaritan, I I just want to say two things today. First of all, I do believe this story tells us that we are more alike than we think. We are more alike than we tend to think. We certainly are different around the world. But deep down, we're all God's children. God didn't make borders. People do. And the different color of skin does not change who we are as human beings. We are the ones who become prejudiced. We are more alike than we are different. It was back in 1951, John Peters was the pastor here at St. Luke's. And he was very concerned about world peace. In 2018, we're still concerned about world peace. But he wanted to do something about it. And so he and the leadership of this church would ultimately create a group called World Neighbors. Neighbors for the World. In which we have been trying to help people in 46 different countries, over 25 million people. They have been working for these last 66 years to have a roof over their head and food on their table and water to drink and to get an education. And it all went back when John Peters was serving in the war as a chaplain. They were trying, he saw the senselessness of war. And they were hunting down some Japanese and they finally caught them and they were starving to death and they were weak. They put up no resistance or fight and they found them. And when he saw these people and how they were just dying of thirst, he took off his helmet and went down to the stream and got some water and brought it back to one of the men. And this Japanese soldier was stunned that the enemy would show such compassion. He spoke some English and John Peter said to him, Why? Why did y'all bomb us at Pearl Harbor? And the man said, I cannot speak for our leaders. All I can tell you is what I want is a piece of land where I can build a house for my family and grow food to feed my children and give them an education. And John Peters was so stunned. It was an aha moment because that's exactly what he wanted for his family. To think that the enemy wanted the same thing as he did. Did they have different cultures? Did they look different? Yes, but they wanted the same thing. It's to realize we are more the same than we are different. To look past the differences to be able to see a need and have compassion. Jesus said, when the Samaritan saw the man, he had compassion to see. Did you notice the story this last week that I thought was fascinating came out this last week about a man named Robert Leibowitz? Robert Leibowitz is 60 years old, lives up near New York and right inside New Jersey. Um, It turned out that he's a single father of five, loves his five children, but he's had chronic 
kidney disease, and he's been on dialysis now for years, and he knows that he is dying. And he so wanted to be with his children. He decided to create some special memories, and they took a trip down to Disney World, go to the happiest place on earth. And when they decided to go, it was his daughter who spoke up and said, Dad, why don't we create you a T-shirt? You could wear this T-shirt, and let's write on there, it says, I need a kidney. O positive. Phone number. And so they created this T-shirt. They went to Disney World, the six of them, and he wore his T-shirt, and there was this lady, um, Sandoval, who came up and saw it and said, can I take a picture of it? Yes. Can I take a picture of you and your family? Yes. Can I post this on my Facebook page? Yes. Twelve years ago, we wouldn't have this story. She posted on her Facebook page. At the end of one week, there were 60,000 likes. At the end of a couple weeks, it was 600,000 likes. Phone calls started coming in from all these strangers. They began talking and trying to narrow it down. And with the help of the doctors, they finally narrowed it to five to do the testing. And they found a perfect match. The children had wanted to be the donors, but they all had a genetic disease, if you will, a genetic miscalculation that would not let them be donors for their father. But they found the perfect match. A man from Fort Wayne, Indiana, 39 years old. His name was... um, just Sully. And he had been seeing this on a Facebook page, certainly had no idea who Robert was. And Richie just decided to call. And he said, I have two good kidneys. If you need one, I'm O positive. I'd be happy to donate. They brought him to New York. They did all the testing. It took several months to really get it all exact. He was a perfect match. And so this week, just a couple days ago, The two of them were in New York, had surgery. They took one kidney from Robert and uh, from Richie, and they gave it to Robert. The uh, surgery certainly appears to be successful. Again, what technology we now have. And Robert is beyond thrilled. A gift of life to be able to live. And he's going so grateful, talking about it and saying, this man had two kidneys and a big heart. When they interviewed Richie, why did you do this? Richie said, well, I really love my two daughters and I want to spend as much time as I can with my two daughters. And I looked at his five children and I could see how he loved them and I knew he wanted to be with them. I I was raised in a family. If you see someone who needs help, you give it. If you see someone who needs help, you give it. Jesus said there was a Samaritan who saw a Jew lying on the edge of the road. And he had compassion. We are more alike than we are different. Do we see and have compassion? Secondly, Jesus said, so who do you think was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise. This was not a a story just to help us learn a value. 
This was a story that's a call to action. Go, do it now. Show compassion to those who have need. You're correct. You're correct. It was the one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise. You know the value. Now go do it. It's what makes all the difference in the world. You know, I I love American history. And one of those that I've enjoyed reading about is William Penn. You know, you remember when we started this country, people came from England because they were being persecuted for their religion. And they wanted to be free. And so they came to this new world and established colonies and immediately said, now you must worship just like we worship if you're going to live here in this colony. And you think, what's wrong with this picture? We just got away from where they're making us all do the same thing. We come to where we're free and we're required to do the same thing. But that didn't happen in every colony. William Penn. William Penn started a colony and he called it Pennsylvania. And he was a, um, he was a Quaker and he wanted peace. And so he said, anyone can come and worship here who wants to come and worship whatever your faith may be. And what a place it was going to create. I want to read you his statement. I expect to pass through life but once. If therefore there be any kindness that I can show or any good thing I can do to a fellow being, let me do it now and not defer nor neglect it as I shall not pass this way again. If there is any good that I can do, let me do it now. I won't pass this way again. He helped to create a place where people could come and worship. And we were different, but we were more alike than different. I'm going to do it now and show compassion. Did did you see the movie Impossible? It came out about four or five years ago now. The, The movie Impossible, it's a true story. A true story about the Bolin family who was from Spain. They went to Thailand for Christmas back in 2004. It was mom, Maria, and her husband, Andre, and they had three kids, Lucas and Thomas and Simon. They were 10, 8, and 5. They flew to Thailand on Christmas Eve. They celebrated Christmas, and then the day after, they're going to be there for a week. And they were there on that morning, on the day after Christmas, sitting around the pool, playing in the pool, when the tsunami came. There'd been this earthquake and this wave of water came towards land. Scientists estimate it was 98 feet tall. And it came and the power of that water destroyed everything in its path. Buildings ripped up trees, you name it. It destroyed it all. And they were sitting around the pool when the tsunami hit. Maria explained, she said, it was like being in a washing machine. You're tumbling and rolling. You don't know which way is up or down. You're being hit with debris. You're running into things. You're just carried along. Doctors estimate she was underwater two to three minutes by the amount of water in her lungs. And for whatever reason, at the end of that time, she just popped up, head above water, looking around, floating fastly, could not, just everything was wiped away, nothing but water and debris. She saw a tree that was up and managed to grab hold of it and hold on. And you try to wrap your mind around, what are you seeing? She had no idea. She was almost a mile inland already. Your mind wraps around the fact that 
Your family's gone. And she's hanging onto this tree when she looks over and sees some debris coming her way. And there's a person holding on, and it's Lucas, her oldest son. Now, she's been hit in the chest. She has been injured. Her leg has been injured. She's actually bleeding internally. She lets go of the tree and begins to swim through the water to get over to her son and manages to grab his hand, and they continue to float along, the two of them holding on to this debris. They're several miles inshore before finally the water stops and kind of begins to recede, and they're dropped down in this swamp. They have no idea where they are. It is nothing but debris around them. They see no one. Maria is badly injured. And Lucas is saying, come on, Mom, we got to get out of here. we got to get to higher ground, Mom. If there's more water that comes, we will die. And he's trying to help her walk when she says, wait a minute. Did you hear that? What? I think it was the voice of a child. Come on, Mom, we've got to get to higher ground or we're going to die. Wait a minute, we've got to look. Mom, we've got to get to higher ground. But Lucas, what if it were Thomas? What if it was your brother Simon? Wouldn't you want someone to help? Mom, Thomas, and Simon are dead. We have got to get to higher ground or we too can die. And Maria stands there and she collects herself for a moment and then she says, we are going to look for that voice if it's the last thing we do. And they begin to dig through the debris. And they found this little boy, Daniel, three years old. They pulled him out of the mud and the debris. They saved him. It turned out that Daniel's mother survived as well. His father and the other siblings, they died. But Daniel survived and his mother would. They would be reunited. The three of them now begin trying to move for help. They get to a road and here's a farmer coming by. The Thai people were out everywhere trying to help, showing such compassion. They put them in the back of the truck. They took them to a village that had a hospital. Maria needed surgery immediately. She was going to die from bleeding internally. They rushed her off to surgery. Lucas is here at the hospital compound and he is looking around. And there at a distance he sees his brother Simon. And then he sees Thomas. And then he sees his father. All three had survived. They had come to the hospital looking for family that maybe Maria and Lucas would be there. Maria survived the surgery. She would have multiple surgeries. She would survive. The whole family. It was impossible. But it happened. They went home to Spain. A couple years later, they decided to make this movie. And the directors wanted the movie to be real. They didn't want to have Hollywood glitz to it. They wanted only what was real to honor the Thai people and everybody who had lost their lives. So they asked this family, would you come and be consultants on the movie? And if we start doing something that isn't real and truthful, you got to call it. So they took Maria to the spot where she was standing there with her son Lucas when they found Daniel. And they said to her, what were you thinking when the two of you stood here? 
And Maria said, I'm a physician. I could tell I was bleeding internally. I really believed I was going to die. I believed I was going to die here. And I made the decision that the last lesson I wanted to teach my son was to show compassion now. I expect to pass through life but once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show or any good thing I can do to a fellow being, let me do it now and not defer nor neglect it as I shall not pass this way again. Jesus said to the lawyer, Who do you think proved to be the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Ah, you're right. Go and do likewise. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.